Welcome to another episode of Ay 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 Ay. Ay 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 Ay. Today we have Michael in the room, and we're gonna, you know, have as many machine learning discussions as possible because we have the machine learning teacher who is teaching his students about machine learning. And uh, looking forward to learning from you, Michael. Um, let's get started. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. So I figure you want to me to introduce myself, right? Absolutely. Please tell awesome. us more about yourself. So I currently work uh, in developer relations at Converge.io, uh, which is a subsidiary of Intel. Uh, I previously worked at Ascale, which is the company behind the Ray project. It's a distributed computing framework. That was such a fun job. Um, and I do a lot of teaching on the side as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Before it was also my full-time job, I've Create courses for Stanford's Continuing Studies program, machine learning. Oh, wow. I have, I think, five LinkedIn learning classes now. I've taught at UC San Diego's Extension School. I've taught a little bit at boot camps and so on and so forth. Um, I've also done research on wearable devices and like data analysis from them. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've done a lot of different things. Typically, I don't go too deep into subjects. I am very much a jack of all trades, master of none kind right. of person. Right. Amazing. But it's definitely been a great journey. Yeah. So we, none of us here will get lost uh, because <laughs> you'll be able to touch all the topics in all varieties, varieties of ways so that we can understand it, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> ideally. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel about uh, Lucky because, you know, he's jack of all trade when it comes to cybersecurity. The range and depth of his expertise in cybersecurity is amazing. So when he talks cybersecurity, I actually understand yeah. most of it because, you know, he mm -hmm. makes the relationship very clear. Weeds them out and separates them out and say, this is not like the other one. This is yeah. this one right here. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like for some reason when you know, it's like when you you can know how to ride a bike, you can do it well and like what you do in, in machine learning and, and I'm not sure deep learning, machine learning and AI is something that you do well. And I'm sure you can just skip right through it. And, and I think that's where people want to hear, you know, more about what you do or, you know, more about maybe the phases of maybe deep learning, machine learning, AI, how you see it, um, or more about maybe projects that you've done recently. So I think the biggest thing about machine learning, deep learning, AI, like whatever you're doing is about trying to solve the problem in hand. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes you get very much in the weeds about, you know, this specific algorithm, uh, this specific enhancement, uh, distilling a bigger model into a smaller one, basically transfer knowledge from something that's massive to smaller to be more efficient. There's a lot of different things in AI in general, but I think the problem is we always get focused on individual models and individual frameworks and individual advances. And that's great if you're purely into research or you're purely into uh, talk about the news or whatever, but it, it's about the problem at hand, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so as far as like problems I've, you know, solved or worked on, um, I've done a lot of work actually on like Fitbits uh, back in the day. <clears throat> so I used to work at Scripps Research and I did a lot of like Fitbit wearable analysis. Oh, like well. Yeah. Trends in like sleep and heart rate and activity. And like a lot of that sort of work was very simple, you know, data imputation. Well, relatively simple. You know, mm -hmm. looking at like simple things like if you, you know, 
you want to do an algorithm on something, you're missing data. Well, a big part of machine learning is actually having data that's applicable for machine learning. Mm-hmm. So people have even done machine learning on data imputation. So if you think about it, it's very simple as I wore my Fitbit uh, on Monday and Wednesday, but on Tuesday, I don't have a reading for my resting heart rate. Well, how would you get the value for that Tuesday you missed? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very simple imputation. It could be like a linear regression. It could be something else. You can do a model based on days of the week. You can do models based on, you know, monthly cycles, hormonal cycles, whatever you want. Um, but oftentimes you do very simple stuff for a lot of occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the cases where you need the big models are the Netflix of the world, the Googles of the world, mm-hmm. uh, where you have massive language models where um, having a fantastic model is very important and taking time to train that model is not as big of a deal as in like smaller companies. Yeah, so overfitting and underfitting uh, these sort of things, right? Like inside the model. Um, so, you know, you're trying to solve a, a, a elephant size issue with a mm-hmm. mosquito or a mosquito size issue using an elephant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this, these models, I think whoever does it and however they come up with it over time, they will become essential not only for their business process, but other people's business need. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you have trained somebody to ride a bike, well, only that person can ride a bike. But mm-hmm. if that model can ride a bike, now that mm-hmm. model can ride a bike for anybody who designs a model and incorporate mm-hmm. that model to teach that model to ride a, ride a bike now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so these are very important topics, like as in that under the hood kind of engine, right? Like what's in that black box? Like how are we operating all these uh, scenarios, right? So we talk about automation in Tesla. We talk about automation in factories. You know, this this mm-hmm. is sort of information that we need to have just to say like, you know, I know what that means. I don't get mm-hmm. confused by it because I get confused by it. I get threatened by it. I get threatened mm-hmm. by it. I get angry about it, right? Um, which is technology 101. It happened mm-hmm. so many times and so often. The lot of technology, even though they were perfectly good, just disappeared because people got threatened by it, right? Um, and some technology that's lasted is because they were able to be transparent enough for the, the, the users to have like good understanding of it and say like, look, even though I don't understand it, it doesn't threaten me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very important in that development of models and AI mm-hmm. technology or product, whatever you want to call it, uh, to have these sort of understanding. So we're, we're going to have some great times learning from you, sir, because uh, you're going to teach us how to, you know, develop these models. <laughs> how do you go? Yeah, about yeah. What's your first step? Like, what's that? What's that first thing that you ask yourself as a question? Okay, Most so the first, has to be laid out. <laughs> first, it's about the problem at hand, as I mentioned earlier. The second thing is, so like the problem at hand, it can be as simple as analyzing, is this a classification mm-hmm. or regression test? In a very, very simple sort of way. There's other sort yeah. of problems you can have, of course. Mm-hmm. But based on what kind of task you have, they could be like, okay, what kind of model you know, should I use? Do I have a natural language problem? Do I go to a transform model because that's the cutting edge? Uh, if I have something that is very simple, like housing prices, uh, well, that data is typically relatively simple if you just have a, you know, a normal data set that isn't like industry based. So you can mm-hmm. go to a gradient boosting sort of model to predict home prices, basically like a gradient boosting model for aggression, essentially. So that's like the XG boost to the world mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. 
And then if I have, you know, classification tasks, well, then you stick to a classification type of model. Uh, you can go for support vector machine. You can go for a logistic regression. You can go for uh, okay. a decision tree for classification, uh, random forest, classify something. Um, grain boosting model again, of course. But it's about solving the problem, right? So you work backwards mm. from what you want. And then, you know, how do you get there, right? And I think the other thing to consider is if you're someone that's in industry and you want to actually put them on production, well, putting models into production are not always as, you know, simple as just train a model on the data and then putting mm -hmm. it out there. It has to be a model that is um, easy to upkeep, uh, a model that can retrain quickly if that's what you need, uh, a model that's easy to develop, a model that you can track experiments for to make sure that it's performing kind of how you like also see what you've done in the past. Um, some cases you need feature stores, which is like a completely different subject entirely than what we're talking about. Um, but there's a lot that goes into putting model production that we probably have to cover here today. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's interesting that you did the work with the Fitbit um, mm -hmm. and the, the the tracking of the, the pulse. Because um, mm -hmm. I... I had a prop, you know, I'm a technology guy. You know, mm -hmm. I was, uh, my first system prior, you know, you were 90s baby. I was playing with a Commodore 64 in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I love technology, but I have a respect for the peoples that use technology. So the big brother syndrome. <clears throat> so it starts with that. And then my girlfriend bought me uh, an Apple watch, which is similar to the mm -hmm. Fitbit. Yep. And it has uh, some of the same type of applications where, you know, I, I wore it and it, it woke me up. It didn't wake me. It alerted me <clears throat> the next day that I had a, a cardiac issue. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you got to be kidding me. So I looked through the settings, figured it out. I was like, yeah, it's right. I have bradycardia. Mm -hmm. And it identified that in my sleep. And it was, it was, it was wild to see something like that actually working. You're, it, you don't really diagnose yourself, but it's like, now you're aware that there could be a problem. I think that's awesome that that type of stuff is being developed. And, and uh, it's fantastic to meet somebody that helped gear or develop some of that technology. I, you know, it's uh, props to you, my friend. That's, that's great work. Thanks. I mean, it's a little different Apple versus Fitbit, but yeah, the same sort of, but as far as like just analyzing yeah, data, I mean, exactly. oftentimes it, these things have features that can attack, you know, AFib, bradycardia, mm -hmm. depending on what you're using. Exactly. Um, it's it's a tool. If we use it properly, it, it can have a lot of value for people. Yeah. Or it, it, did it, did it, did you have it to where it would look at like maybe possible that like you're having some kind of MI or something? Or did you just look at specific symptoms and say, all right, we're going to develop, uh, like you said, either it's uh, two different types of, of structures that you develop. Uh, one is more, um, I forget the, the, the two, is one is more structured for tagging categories and the other one's more for uh more developing some kind of algorithm or some kind of logic that that develops I, and i'm sorry i'm i'm yeah. I, i'm a little misunderstanding some of the stuff that you're providing but i know sure. I, so um it depends on the use case of course but mm -hmm. like looking at like afib events it's a lot of times that's you know classifying whether you have an afib event or not um basically just a heart issue potentially. Mm -hmm. um, and that's typically, you know, assigning, you know, do you have hay or not? Is there a probability for that? 
Um, mm-hmm. For you know, bradycardia, if I understand the condition properly, that's when your heart rate gets um, basically too slow from what I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully exactly. someone that's reading this is like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is correct and this is wrong, right? No, no, um, you hit it right on the nose. Yeah. That's an easier thing I would argue to detect than like AFib because if you're below a certain threshold, that's really just a, a simple kind of if-else sort of logic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is very valuable too. That's a very valuable thing. If your heart rate goes below a certain amount for a certain period of time, well, that may be something you should look into. Um, mm-hmm. It could be something that's perfectly fine. Some humans are probably perfectly healthy above or below a certain threshold, right? Exactly. Um, and so it could be learning someone, hey, this could potentially be an issue. Like just once and then, you know, that's it, right? Um, so it's, did you find it useful, by the way? Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, so I mean, just like, like say for myself, I, 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 I was raised more in the security background. Mm-hmm. And so I, I worked a lot with IPSs and IDSs and, and I, I, I engineered a lot of that market when I was a kid. And so I was part of it's, it feels good to be able to give something to the community. And it's nice to be able to find out, you know, you meet people that have done certain parts and certain things that are really cool. And, and that's something I'll remember. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. But yeah, continuing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, just learning from, from you is I'm an instructor also. Um, what, what do you feel is the hardest part for people to kind of understand and grasp when they're trying to go from something from, I don't know, from machine learning to AI or, 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 uh, from maybe deep learning to machine learning, what's the hardest thing to grasp there, uh, that you find with students? Well, I think the biggest thing students lack is patience, but oh, okay. that's oh, probably, <laughs> wait, wait, you're just talking about students or are you talking about the rest of the world? <laughs> Everyone, <laughs> just all over the place. Everyone. There's yeah. a, there's a degree for, you know, urgency, which is very important, but as far as like learning, I think just taking one step after another, like people always want to get to the the algorithm, but they don't actually want to go to the cleaning the data or mm-hmm. finding a way to reproducibly get data, you know, ingest data properly. Uh, there's those sort of things. Uh, garbage in and garbage out is a, a big thing here with machine learning. Um, in essence, the way a lot of people see it is if you have bad model that goes into data or sorry, bad data that goes into a model, then you're not going to have good results. So I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing teaching people is making sure your data is good, making sure you have appropriate number of features and appropriate number of rows, because not all algorithms fit all data, which is a very, very important thing. Um, and sometimes it could be simple things like adjusting columns from strings to numerics, because algorithms typically only accept you know numerics for a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. It could be things like uh, if you have too many features and you have uh, less rows than number of columns, then a lot of algorithms aren't going to find that very valid. It's going to be hard to to get the optimal model there. Some algorithms mm-hmm. and some techniques like PCA, for example, they expect you to have more rows than columns. PC, uh, PCA? We're not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's PCA, though? Uh, dimensionality reduction. It's when you okay. go... When you compress data, essentially. Okay. okay. That's principal component analysis. There's a lot of things you can do with PCA, like analyze components based on variance and like a lot of different stuff. Um, and eigenvalues and eigenvectors, a lot of it that goes into that. But the whole point of like uh, answering your question is really just you have to 
understand your data to be able to put into a model in some way, shape, or form. There's algorithms, there's clustering that can help you understand your data. Um, and there's a lot of different techniques and a lot of fiscal mm-hmm. operations can perform on columns to kind of understand your data. But the yep. biggest thing is making sure it's acceptable for machine learning algorithms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think when you mentioned patience, you know, patience is uh, something that we have to train people first mm-hmm. <laughs> before we talk about AI. Um, because look, ultimately, uh, the stage that you just talked about, it, it, it sort of falls into between the concept development and technology scouting, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that technology scouting is the part where you're like, look, like I have billions of data, uh, rows of records that I have to work with. And, and these rows of records are just in one database. Mm-hmm. And I have thousands of different databases, and they all have billions of rows and records, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so complexity just begins when you just address that one issue, right? Um, so, so prior to that, you know, what, what you need is that AI, and tra- AI training and education and mm-hmm. the needs assessment, right? So yeah. if you have a needs assessment that learn, turns into AI education and then turns into uh, technology scouting or, say, uh, concept development, then you have a, a journey to continue, mm-hmm. like, say, for example, chapter one of the book, chapter two of the book, chapter mm-hmm. 12 of the book, right? Yeah. After you finish chapter 12, now you start volume two. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, AI, is, it, AI is sophisticated because it performs to the level you need it to perform. Mm-hmm. Software, however, you can just leave it in your desktop and never use it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that software is gone. The software is the one that will give birth to the next level of AI. Software plus plus is what AI is pretty much in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Coding plus plus, programming plus plus is mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, right? Because programming and coding and software can get you so far, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I started with the word patience is because we had to wait this long to get to the point of software, coding, and programming. Now when we talk about, hey, you need to be more patient with AI. <laughs> <laughs> Conversation goes like, shut the door, let's get out of here. We're not talking mm-hmm. anymore because <laughs> I'm done waiting. We're done being patient. And mm-hmm. of course, the, 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 the false logic that comes to everybody's mind is right away is that like, okay, where is that AI robot that we've been promised since, since how yeah. long? I don't know, hundreds of years at this point. Um, but, you know, that's the first topic that comes into people's mind is that like, okay, where's that robot? Where's all this fancy AI that I've been promised in the movies, right? Um, so what you just said yeah. about patience and going through all the steps, it's so important because software you don't have to be responsible for. Mm-hmm. A software that's on a desktop installed, you don't have to be really responsible for it. I guess somehow you are responsible if you pay subscription monthly for it, but if it's just installed and never used, you never use it. But an AI on the other hand, has that responsibility piece to it, right? It's responsibility. You have to maintain it. You have to trigger things as the things are progressing oh, in the environment yeah. and production, right? Um, so <laughs> again, the patience is what has to be taught. And that, that, that concept of responsibility is so vital in AI because um, yes, you can develop an AI and somebody could hijack it from you. Somebody could take that AI and do malicious things with it. Somebody could not even hijack it, but just be malicious and sabotage it for you, that it could turn into something like what he mentioned earlier about Zillow, about the the, the housing uh, issues that they had where they lost money, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's just that somebody probably didn't take their responsibility seriously, right? They said, 
Well, if it says yes, go with yes. Decision has been made <laughs> by AI. Let it go, right? Let it have it, you know? Um, so th- this AI education, I think, is the far more, far most importance, right? As in, before you get into that concept, before you do that technology scouting, learn AI. Learn AI, mm-hmm. how to differentiate between AI and the software, right? Mm-hmm. Because you will need software lessons, not in so in-depth, but you have to understand what, AI will be able to do using that software, right? Mm-hmm. So differentiate, then understand what the connections are, right? And then what are the responsibilities as the next level of ongoing, you know, engagement with folks, like either you're a developer or you're a user or you're just an enthusiast who will invest tons of money into it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's software and machine learning is very much intertwined a lot of times these days like it used to be maybe you can develop you know machine learning algorithm you know publish in journal and you know have someone else figure it out but training a lot of these bigger models these days you do need like software expertise you know a lot of things require distributed computing for example and distributed computing is not always the most simple thing to do uh just on your own right it takes a lot of expertise a lot of understanding um, of how distributed systems work and training and all sort of stuff. Um, so there is more and more overlap these days. And a lot of people for like machine learning companies are hiring a lot more software people because mm-hmm. the model training, the data engineering, that sort of stuff is very software intensive skill wise. But learning the software is very important before you typically just go into the machine learning and things. Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing something you know, relatively simple that has a lot of value. Yeah, yeah. I, I work with data warehouse side of things. So when when I say amount of data that we have, mm-hmm. um, to have this much data and have it sitting around, really just being processed from one system to another, mm-hmm. and just making a loop over and over, really without having any data intelligence, is a sad state uh, state of data right now. Right, data is mm-hmm. at motion, but data useless. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Data is expensive too. Data is very expensive, energy consuming. I think me and Lucky, we talked about it plenty of times is that the fact is you cannot sustain the way we have data and data physically stored in the server. It is just not a sustainable model that we can have because you can only Mm -hmm. build so many hardware for amount of data that you will build or collect over time. Mm You have to have a recycling process of data uh, sooner or later, um, Mm -hmm. which is that you know, learn that data with AI, give that AI the content, have the AI build a context. And within mm-hmm. that context, AI will never need to save that data ever again. Mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. go of that data. I've learned it, let it go. There's no room for storing it. We shouldn't mm-hmm. store it anyway, right? Um, a fascinating fascinating uh, innovation, I would say, if we can find a way to have an AI learn it all mm-hmm. and delete it all. <laughs> I mean, there is some of that sort of concepts with like edge computing, where you, you bring a model to data, you know, stored in different areas, like healthcare, for example, you don't want the model, all the healthcare data being like one place. So you and bring content the model delivery. To the um, like content delivery networks within cloud environments. Oh, I don't, not super familiar, but I would guess so. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of use cases for bring them all the data and then learn from it, then don't see the data again. Because, like, yeah, why? So it's, it's edge computing, um, Lucky, it's like, think about the cloud and each mm-hmm. corner of a cloud, you have an edge, 
Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah, so exactly. if you have an edge computing, you have it on your zip code, right? And that zip code has certain amount of data that is ready and available for use. So when it comes to cybersecurity, right? Yeah. Um, you don't access cloud system that is over in Virginia. You access it in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, no, that, I think that's, that's, uh, those are the systems that are established within your zip code. So, you know, it's not being traveling from Virginia back to your system. No, I believe that. No, I understand. I believe that's called content delivery network, CDN, um, cloud services. And no, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, that's, it's fantastic how that works. And in that, in some cases, cloud vendors get in trouble because of that. Because you have uh, content and networking that's just wired together all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not segmented out like we think it should be. It's it's more um, logically based as opposed to physically based. And mm-hmm. so that means it's all wired together through many protocols and redundant uh, systems that if you're a government agency, I can't work with certain providers because they the data is being replicated in so many places that it's only our requirements to say, for example, we want only to be replicated in uh, the 48 states, you know, terra firma, it's hard for cloud providers to deliver that. And typically because of that, the way they're, they're developed or the way they're designed, the architecture is to be redundant and be mm-hmm. available. I, I think that's, that's a good problem to have because that's, mm-hmm. that means a lot of small business will be able to do so much business with the big cloud vendors that it, it okay, first of all, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm for all the small businesses, right? I want the small business to be involved in this data brokering and data vendoring, whatever the case is. Um, small business have to be part of it because otherwise this control that you give away to somebody in Virginia is ridiculous, right? You got to have some mm-hmm. control over your uh, access to that data, information availability and integrity of that data within your site. Um what you just mentioned gets super complex because Jake, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center that is built by Pentagon, um, one of their main priority is, you know, how do we have edge computing in our Humvees, right? So when a soldier is on the move, his internet is literally connected to his Humvee or his helmet. Satellite, yeah. So, So you're talking about transfer of data and the volume of data, the way that data has to travel. How do we minimize it to a level that is sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fast and has that CIA concept, right? Confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Um, yeah. There's so a lot of problems. Zip code to, yeah. One zip code to another zip code. Yeah. Problem there. But now how does it become a problem when, it, when you have to have a mobility of a person? Yeah, mobility, yeah. And helmet? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And these are just, you know, challenges are popping up more and more over time because there's more and more of these sort of problems and a lot of opportunity for you know solving problems of course but mm-hmm. it creates computing problems it can create privacy problems creates all sorts of different problems right um yeah so i, I want to ask so like what are both of yours like top uh, machine learning challenges that you deal with at work or just i shouldn't mm-hmm. say at work or what you can share i should say <laughs> batch processing Batch processing is the single most use case that I'm like, literally keeps me at night because, you know, they'll, they'll call three in the morning and say like, hey, something has failed. <laughs> like, how long have we been fixing this batch processing that it never fixes itself overnight? <laughs> Why does it fail though? 
Like what's the, simple, the problem? Simple data hashtag or some space that some user has entered by mm -hmm. faulty system errors, you know, simple mm -hmm. stuff, nothing, nothing complicated. Like, you know, you just clean up two data, uh, two or three sets of record out of millions and millions of records that mm -hmm. came through last four hours. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, my mine is a, a little different because I, I'm more of the the curious, you know, cat. Because I, where I come from is, I, I ex developer. I've done some, a mm -hmm. few things. I've designed uh, data warehouses back in early 2000s when there was considered uh, data cubing and uh, uh, analytics was different. They didn't, they didn't have necessarily Microsoft analytics services. They had it was a whole different thing you had to do, Talk and it was. It was complicated to do, but at the end, I understand the VA has gone and, and other agencies, they use a lot of analytics, mm -hmm. but I really haven't seen the push. And I used to have a guy, his name was Herb, Herb Dollar. Um, he was a old ISO at one of my hospitals um, at the VA. And he always talked about artificial intelligence and how it's going to change this and and this is years ago. This sounds at least, at least 10 years ago. So it, it, I, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, so initially when analytics arrived in the, in, in the early 2000s, it revolutionized the way business um, did things or made decisions for the most part. You know, with analytics, hell, baseball teams changed the way they did things on drafted players. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking to see how... AI or, you know, some type of uh, machine learning is going to improve, you know, how to take care of veterans or how that can improve. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how that AI can help or some kind of, you know, how, what's the next phase of uh, helping people in medical care? Because that's my focus is, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a cyber guy and I do a lot of this, but, you know, I, I've always looked at, you know, I've always been in the medical field or at least helping people, doctors, physicians mm -hmm. um, in general. But, you know, at the end of the day, how, how is AI can, how can I leverage that to help people, veterans? And, and so, you know, just always trying to find the next best thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and, I do have a couple of thoughts on this as well, because I mean, that's obviously a very, very complex and difficult problem, or at least we make it mm -hmm. complex, right? Yep. Um, so have you ever like, how should I say this? I'm trying to say this uh, nicely. So I think part of it is also, there's a lot of room for simple analysis, not even AI, like, oh yeah, AI is, AI is gonna change everything. But sometimes there's a lot of low hanging fruit in like analysis, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So something could really just be, uh, finding ways to demonstrate through data or through data and through visuals that, hey, maybe we need to train more doctors because maybe there's a certain amount of residencies that we have for doctors graduating medical school or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And that's limited by Congress or Senate or whatever it is. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. just say we need more doctors to make it, you know, better for veterans so they can see more doctors not to wait because oftentimes people that have health problems, you know, don't want to go through the medical system because it's complicated, right? Maybe just mm -hmm. something as simple as like, hey, find out somehow how people are having trouble getting care and bring it more easily to them, right? Yeah. Because oftentimes the simplest things are the most frustrating for people. 
we saw this during COVID where people had to, you know, get vaccination, mm. uh, vaccination cards and get them online sometimes or fill out forms online. And oftentimes yeah. a lot of people that are older may have had more trouble with that than younger generations. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit that's not even just AI based that we could probably make life easier on people. Yeah. See, um, my, my focus was thinking like focusing, trying to get telehealth to get more automated analytics because mm-hmm. right now telehealth is so new that telehealth is just you know okay right now um we get you a device we get your you know uh, the status of where you're at you know and then doctors review that and you know I, I, there's i think there's a huge market with telehealth and automating things and it's the only thing is scary there is you know when when is the ai making a decision and when is a doctor making a decision for the patient Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of opportunity there. You know? if, if, if I can, I, I want to take something that exists between our ears and yeah, say, yeah. how do we augment this brain of ours with AI, right? As in, <laughs> if we can augment this brain, it's possible. Neural right? net. Neural network, right? So this brain that we have uh, wow. can be augmented by a computer, but the fear, the way that people look at it is opposite. They look at mm-hmm. the computer as the brain and mm-hmm. us as the victim of it, right? As in a computer, no matter if you build about 30 million computers and jumble them together, mm-hmm. they could never replicate a human brain. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people have ideas about is that like, well, instead of using our brain, we will use the brain outside of ourselves to have this brain go dumb or something bad happens to this human body. People get threatened by it, right? We well, talk hell about yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Autopilot. Autopilot, right. But, but I, think, I think the reality is that you can never sustain enough, enough amount of hardware uh, to build that brain outside of our body. What we have right. to understand is that this brain is needs, needs augmenting. And one good example of augmenting a brain is to say, mm-hmm. if your brain has been trained to become a doctor for so many years, and you see patients, that. 100 patients a day. No, you don't do that. I think it's mm-hmm. 20 as average for a doctor to see. Uh, sometimes they see 40, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're seeing a, 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 on a daily basis, you're seeing that many patients and you're having that much conversation, you need your brain to be augmented to perform to the level that you need it to. Because handling five people for me is difficult. I don't understand how doctors do it 20 a day. Right. Like I'm having this three way conversation right now. I'm like, this is it. After this, I'm, I'm done. I'm, qu- I'm quitting. Right. <laughs> but for doctors, it's not the case. What yeah. needs to happen is that their brain needs to be augmented by an artificial intelligence to help them to do their task. And how do you do that? Like, well, one of the examples we have right now is that um, there's been a, a recording system that is being implemented between a patient and a doctor physical, in-person, or over the phone, or over the telecommunications, however, Zoom or uh, Teladoc, um, that recording system records the whole conversation, takes notes. Mm-hmm. Simple use case of just taking notes, like mm-hmm. take notes to the point that you can articulate the fact that this note is important, but this mm-hmm. is not, right? This is not important because he's talking about his grandchildren, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if he's talking about his health problem, now this gets, um, you know, like mm-hmm. bold letters, italic means it's not really that necessary. But human eyes will go over it and say, like, you know, uh, the grandkid stuff is probably a little bit important. Let's make it a bold. Mm-hmm. So that's the 
ultimate first use case of the steps towards that wow. you know, big giant use case, which is to mm-hmm. say, how do I augment a human doctor with AI now? Because as, as a person is taking notes, they don't really have to focus on taking notes. They can more think about like, detecting the problem or helping the AI to detect the problem and come up with a solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that that first step is to just take notes by a system that will learn from itself using machine learning technology. And then, um, right now, we're doing that. Actually, we're taking notes, and what we're doing is, uh, you know, using human eyes to look through those notes and say, like, okay, figure out what we're missing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that kind of supervised learning that has been. Um, mm-hmm being taught in schools and that's what's being used right now in many of those fancy technologies but think about that for a small case right um but obstacle behind it what uh what michael just mentioned is that you know we have a pii system that's put in place that doesn't allow us to you know just freely say let's record a patient and a doctor mm-hmm. conversation Right. Not that it's a bad thing, not that the regulation is bad, but the regulation is so outdated. It mm-hmm. hasn't really caught up to the issues of 2022, mm-hmm. you know, post 2020 COVID. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the world changed completely. Yeah. Complexity. The situation is more complex than ever before. Um, so that's just a one use case of what you can do in uh, healthcare side of things that you, you can you can develop an AI to augment a human performance. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the reason I think a lot of the things are slowing down is because the other version of AI is what's coming into play in most people's understanding of AI. So that's why we need to have this conversation all, all the time. We need to have this understanding of people to say like, look, it's augmenting a brain, not literally taking a brain and turning <laughs> it into another brain, right? It's not like we're developing another brain using 30 million computers and oh. jumbling them all together. Now they're a mm-hmm. big giant robot, right? And slapping Will Smith around or something like that, you know? <laughs> no, see, I was thinking it was more like Neo where he comes out of uh, being in the asleep and they plug him in and all of a sudden he understands uh, tai, not tai Chi, Kung Fu. Kung Fu, cool. yeah, like, well, that's well, what I'm not, talking about. You know, let me not let me not bring up Neuralink. <laughs> I think Michael can testify to Neuralink, um, which literally is the capability of plugging some wires on the back of your head and having a Bluetooth device talk to a system, right? Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 not go there today. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a little bit ways off, but we'll see. I want to go back to the you know augmenting doctors. I think yes. people are also worried like, oh, a doctor's not going to see my form or this or that. And there's, you know, there's risks of everything. But right. for a lot of like, you know, annotating doctor's notes, there's a lot of value mm-hmm. in that because a lot of times doctors see one patient after another, after another, after another. And they don't have time to do their medical records till like the end of the day sometimes or hours later because it's yeah. not 12 patients in a row. So even just having the notes, you know, be made so that they can do, you know, medical records later on is very valuable, right? So there's a lot of value in just what we consider simple things, but mm-hmm. just having cues from memory are very useful as well for the doctors later on. Um, That's right. That's so. right. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you one thing that I was thinking about uh, when we talked about complexity. Look, mm-hmm. let's, I'll get a little bit ph- philosophical and I'll give you a little background into that, right? The reason I'm getting a little philosophical with this is because mm-hmm. I look at it from a conflict resolution perspective, right? That's what I coach people on. I coach people on conflict resolution, mostly negotiations, and trying to help them um, understand how they can become a b- better mediator than a negotiator, 
because being a negotiator comes with a whole lot of practice, but mediation doesn't take that much of a practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mediation is active listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you are an active listener, you can do much more uh, with, with any conflict that you're dealing with. Um, so here's my take on uh, the complexity. We, we really, as a human beings that has a brain between our ears, we only have one problem, right? And all the other problems still exist in the back of our head somewhere. Because this problem really doesn't exist in environments. Like the nature, the way, well, we are nature too, but the nature is not losing any ground because the humans have problems in their head, right? Mm. Nature is just whatever. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not conscious mm. being, I'm not really thinking about problems. All I have is solutions. The nature is just full of solutions. If you look outside of yourself, it's all solutions. And we think like we have thousands of problems. Well, we actually have thousands of problems on a listing, but we only deal with one problem at a time. Mm-hmm. Right? And the reason I bring that up is because that one use case at a time is the best way to go about it. Pick that small use case that you can do today, maybe tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Or if not tomorrow, within the next six months. Yeah. But a lot of the companies are looking at AI like, well, I'm so far behind. I have to just jump right into the robots. <laughs> right. I just have to jump into that big set of data that I have to go out there and buy. Right. Mm-hmm. Forgetting the fact that you have an organization full of people and these people are your best tools in order to develop an AI process. Mm-hmm. And within that AI process, you can develop a technology that fits your business narrative much better than a narrative that you can buy from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so if you think about it like from a one problem perspective, millions of solutions, you look at that one problem and say one small use case, what is it? Mm-hmm. Right. And then try to figure that out. Like it's like, I, I, you know, for me, the batch processing, mm-hmm. one, one simple error could have been RPA, right? Robotic mm-hmm. process automation, like RPA to say like, you know, write a code and say, if there's a simple space here, don't call me. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. fix it yourself. Delete it. Yeah, <laughs> right. And now uh, I'm not, I'm not I'm not putting it that sim- simplistically, but think about it. Right, if that mm-hmm. was the problem, that'd be the solution. That's a simple use case that we can work off of and say, how do we teach a machine to correct this error from billions of sets of um, rows and columns? Mm-hmm. Right. So let's say, for example, um, if you have some information that is missing, how do I fill that information in? Or mm-hmm. how do I take care of information that is false and remove that or tag it somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of classification training. So machine learning and simplicity is that, you know, you're looking for true positive, false positive, false negative, and true. Uh, which one am I missing here? Like, you get my point. It's a quadrant. Mm-hmm. Literally in a four quadrant, you can mm-hmm. figure out like, you know, are you right? How right are you? Are you right to the 99%? Can mm-hmm. I get you to 99% and have oh, you perform at 99% see. all the times? Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Start with a simple use case and move move on with AI. But simple a lot use of case, simple metrics. Are coming from the other other side. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's in general though. People always want to promise a lot, and then you know, because that's how you get sales for like at least for like salespeople. It's like, oh yeah, we can solve every one of your problems immediately. <laughs> like we <laughs> have all the solutions here. It'll be yeah. super cheap, and then like it's you end up having yeah, things are way over budget way under delivered and mm-hmm. i think it's a human problem though. yeah yeah and, yeah and and that's that's what me and lucky we started talking uh, to each other about how to go in front of these decision makers and sit down with the decision makers and the developers or the designers or the business process owners data owners whoever the case is 
sit down and just have this one-on-one topic of conversation. Say like, look, where you start is data structuring. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you're not data structuring today, don't even talk about AI, mm-hmm. right? If, if your yep. data is failing and you're, you don't have your data structured very well, don't, you know, think about AI, but don't jump into it today because you know, that, that's what's important right now. And who you, who you need right now is already in this room, right? Mm-hmm. This, these, these IT developers, these people that are working with your data, the data owners, the business process owners, they can all get together and fix that issue by addressing like, okay, if we structure our data today, how do we structure the data for an algorithm? Mm-hmm. So that way, algorithm is not spitting out a bunch of garbage. Mm-hmm. We're not feeding that algorithm some garbage. We're feeding it some structured data that even if it's tweak it, even if the parameter have to be adjusted and tuned, we can do it without you know really getting frustrated about the algorithm because it's not mm-hmm. an algorithm's job to figure out what a bad data looks like. It's mm-hmm. the business process owner, the data owners, the IT guys in the organization that can come up with a solution mm-hmm. to that, right? Unless the um, algorithm specifically looking for bad data, like. And you could structure an algorithm like that, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, totally. <laughs> it just makes sense that you start with that small data mm-hmm. structure that you've been building mm-hmm. for so long. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, Don't introduce a new tire because, you know, you need a new car, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of times, yeah, there's a lot other problems you can want to solve first before you solve some giant machine learning problem or, yeah. you know, try to take over... Uh, Google's, you know, this algorithm, that algorithm, or come up with the next GPT model or whatever. And really you just need something, you know, pretty small, need some good data first before you do anything and then go from there. But it goes back to patience, right? Like, are you, are you able to have some modicum of patience to be able to get something done so they can do greater things down the road, right? Especially with companies that are very old fashioned that like all of a sudden, you know, 2022, like we got to get machine learning in our company. It's like, well, uh, do you have data that's nice? <laughs> mm-hmm. so. so the VA's, um, VA's effort right now for AI is to prevent a veteran suicide. Mm-hmm. Grand ambition, right? Mm-hmm. Very grand ambition. Um, and they have a lot of NA, uh, NAIC, I think it's NAIC, is the, uh, it's the, it's the uh, VA's effort in AI, right? That's called Vinci. V I N C I is the uh, VA oh. specific AI mm-hmm. um, trying to solve uh, AI problems. Uh, excuse me, suicide issues in the veterans community. And I'm, I'm a veteran myself, so I understand their the mm-hmm. ambition and the goal. But I always wonder to myself, like the Vinci would have been a good use case if they were to fix say like procurement process. That process that is tracking sort of like that acquisition process, right? That, that you're acquiring new technologies. How do you use AI for that, right? Um, I look at AI from the data side of things first, right? If you can look at data and utilize that data to develop an AI rather than say like, I'm just going to take this AI and do, uh, solve an issue. <laughs> it's like, no, go backward. Start with the data. That data that is dirty and you know not really structured and it's all over the place. And, and the conversation doesn't end there, right? It, it blows up when I say, you know, you have billions of sets of rows of records. You have thousands of servers. You need a few more thousand servers and a few more billions of rows and records of data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, Because that's not enough. Whatever data that you're so proud of is still not enough. You, you might need a larger set of data to merge it against and you know test it out, right? See how structured is it. You actually. might need more data. You might need 
I mean, clear data obviously is what you're going for there. Right. Um, right. You quality data, need... the quantity of data, you need the quality yeah. of data. That's yeah. what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. The quality could just be like, yeah, you can have enough rows. There is a lot of work these days of transfer learning where you, you know, take some model that learned from a slightly different problem and then transfer that learning over so you need less data for a lot of like complex things. Um, but even then, a lot of it is, you know, the more data you have, the more you can deal with it, right? Um, so it's accessibility of data too. A lot of times people are like, oh, we have all this data, but you might not have access to that data, right? I think that's also a big problem you probably have in like confidential data where a team's like, oh yeah, we're gonna do some machine learning you know, model, but this other team has access to the data and you can't get access to the data because of privacy concerns or whatever. So yeah. I think people before like, oh yeah, we have this grand ambition for machine learning. It's like, well, do people have access to that data? Like, is it possible? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big brother. You're, trying to, you're helping develop Big Brother. <laughs> well, how about, how about What's wrong next, with you? <laughs> how about for the next conversation, we talk about synthetic data, which mm -hmm. could be a solution to the problem you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And also, we got to hit up Neuralink because mm -hmm. Neuralink is so fascinating, in my opinion. Uh, I think it has a big potential that, you know, even we, we will resist it for a bit. But at one point or another, we'll understand how important it is that we are able to augment our brain which has tremendous capacity. It just doesn't have uh, tremendous capabilities, right? It has capacity, but it doesn't really have the capabilities, you know? Um, so with that said, I think wow. this topic is amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. We would love to continue that. Maybe, maybe we'll talk neural network the next segment too. And uh, maybe Michael will come back and join us. I'm happy to join whenever. I really yeah. appreciate you having me too. Yeah, I can, I can only see like version two where they say, okay, Neuralink, it's overheating people. We're going to have to add a fan. <laughs> <laughs> see, I... Yeah, we're to add fans to cool your brain because we're overheating you. I'm going to use that next time for Neuralink. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It was a pleasure having you on. I, did the time already pass? Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're we're pretty fast wow. here. Wow! <laughs> wow, that was amazing. I, I I did learn quite a bit. Um, thank you. Me as but well. But before we go, before you go, we got to do the I I I I on your voice, like as in you got to hear it. Oh yeah, we got to hear it. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't butcher it. Right? I I I I. Hey man, that's good. No, that was good. There you go. Not not lucky you do it right. I almost like you're Indian. Like you want to reach into some maybe some ancestral like Indian right. roots right. or something. I'm not going to go down that path. <laughs> I can try, but it's it's uh, not somewhere to go. But, uh, yeah. Well, Michael, lucky. It's always a pleasure. Um, I'm looking forward to the next call, next conversation because um, you know every time we talk about this AI stuff, something new comes up, and yeah, we. Uh, we learn something new every time and thanks for joining. Thanks for spending that one hour with us on a Wednesday, middle of the week. Oh um, yeah. Appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. And I love to come on again. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.